Come and join the adventures of the magical space Pussycats. Exploring bookish horizons and having in-depth lady chats. Doopy doopy doop Welcome back, Pussycats, to the fifth episode of Magical Space Pussycats, your favorite speculative fiction chat show and book club. Today on the episode, we are going to talk about a new development in the Hugo Awards. We're going to talk about a new potential category, as well as the winners for the British Fantasy Awards. And then we are going to jump into our discussion of Kindred by Octavia Butler. As always, I am Chelsea Outlaw. I am coming to you guys from the United States, and I am joined by two lovely ladies who I will let introduce themselves. I'm Elizabeth and I'm in Wales. Hey guys, I am Caitlin and I'm coming to you from England. Well, as we kind of explained getting into the show, we are going to start by talking about the uh, kind of new things that are going on, which we'll start with the new Hugo category for those of you guys who haven't seen it or who uh, aren't really tapped into the Hugos in between the time they're over and the time you nominate again. <laughs> um, Worldcon 75 is going to be kind of the first trial run of a new category. They're going to introduce the new best series category, which if it goes well and they get good uh, nominations and people seem to like it, seems like it will become a permanent fixture as of 2018. Um, yeah, they've yeah. done so this, this before yeah, with the four, best yeah. graphic work, which is now a mm -hmm. standard on the ballot, but it, it happened... Um, a few years ago, I can't even remember when, um, but that was a new thing and, and people liked uh -huh. it. So maybe they'll like mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And so this category, the kind of big picture or the, you know, in order to be nominated for this category, um, the award goes to a multi-volume science fiction or fantasy story, which has to be unified in plot, characters, etc. So obviously you know, a series of books, <laughs> uh, which has appeared in at least three volumes consisting of a total of at least 240,000 words. And at least one of the volumes has to be published in the year it was nominated. So in this case, 2016. So that is the, <laughs> how it works. Those are the rules. That's what it takes to be nominated. Uh, we have some thoughts. We, as we, to yeah, we have that's going many to work. thoughts on this. <laughs> Um, do you, so th th thoughts from you ladies, what are you guys thinking about how this is going to work? I was never a fan of the concept in the first place. I felt like it was something that was kind of brought in as a reaction to the furore about the Robert Jordan thing getting on the ballot and then not winning, mm -hmm. uh, back mm, in yeah. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, I'm not a huge series reader. I don't read huge epic fantasy series, so maybe Yeah. Caitlin, do you have and thoughts? I, <laughs> I mean, I I like the idea of it, but I think from hearing you guys talk about the rules before we started recording just now, it sounds like there needs to be some ironing out of like things that maybe wouldn't be eligible by their rules currently that mm -hmm. should be eligible but I do read epic fantasy series which are usually ridiculously long and I think <laughs> that you've got to give credit to people who can manage to complete a series that is ridiculously long and keep it interesting as you go 
And I don't think there are many authors who do that. I think a lot of people try, but I think there are some authors who do it incredibly well. Robin Hobb. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think yeah. that they should be recognised. And I think, for example, Robin Hobb's latest book, when it comes out, the third one in the Fits and the Fool series, is probably not going to win the fantasy um, mm-hmm. standalone uh, novel category because it's so far in a series, but it could win yeah, this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be eligible and I think it would make sense for her to win this because she is an established fantasy author who does really really good fantasy so in my opinion she should be recognized too but Mm -hmm. as you were talking about with Le Guin and people like that from the past who maybe weren't eligible not such a fair award for people who don't write quite as epic, quite as long books. Yeah, so what yeah. what Caitlin is talking about is we had a bit of a chat beforehand where I was desperately trying to do maths, not my strong point. <laughs> um, Numbers are hard. Challenging. So this, the, the, the requirements for the award is that the series must be at least 240,000 words to be nominated. And I was thinking about Le Guin's novels, particularly The Hainish Cycle, which includes The Dispossessed and The Left Hand of Darkness, uh-huh. some of her most famous books. But they which are, are only what, a couple hundred pages apiece. Yeah. They're not super long. Yeah, exactly. Planet of Exile yeah. is just over a hundred pages. And yeah. according to an estimate that I found on the internet, always the most reliable, um, <laughs> You can estimate about 250 to 300 words per page. So a 55,000 word book would be about 200 pages, which means that Le Guin's books, by the time they were three or four books in, would be nowhere near the 240,000. I'm even dubious whether she would have hit it by the time she finished the the Hainish Cycle. There's quite Mm. a few of them, but some of them Uh are very short. And they do go over the requirement for best novella, which is 40,000 words, which would be, you know, you're not talking many pages, like barely over 100 pages to classify for best novel. Yet you've got to Mm -hmm. get to 240,000 words, which would be like um 800 it's like 1200 pages or something like that yeah they're crazy long books and it's it's interesting because as we've kind of already indicated like it skews one like you were talking about incredibly long books Mm. so we're talking about your george r R. martin's your robert jordan's you know posthumously your brandon sanderson yeah totally things like that and with that you're skewing so heavily towards that epic fantasy end of the spectrum there you know there are so few not none but so few epic science fiction Mm. series that could qualify for something like this that while I think that it is a reflection of the field and makes room on the ballot for potential other authors the way they have it structured now with their word counts and stuff, it's you're only going to be rewarding a handful of people over and over and over again. Yeah. Each time they have a book published in that calendar year. Like exactly. When the next Stormlight book comes out, that will win this category. Like when Winds of Winter comes out, that will win this category. Like I would put money on it now in those books. Who knows when they're coming? Yeah. <laughs> but that's this is that category for that yeah. book. And how many trilogies are there that are going to come in just under that word count? Like that mm-hmm. is a huge mm-hmm. word count for a trilogy. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't put Hunger Games in that category. Something like The Hunger Games doesn't cap 250,000, which, you know, 
should the Hunger Games win a Hugo? That's a different conversation. But you know, it's a was a best selling, very well known science fiction dystopian series, and so it's true. You, you exclude yeah. more than you include. And I when think you what you were saying about high. sort of um, excluding people. It's going to be a repetition of the people who have these ongoing series. It's going to be at least, you know, if someone new wants to come in and try for this award, they've got to write two books and then a third one before they can even be considered for this award. Well, I mean, you don't don't go in assuming that you're going to go for one award. You just write. No, but you know what I mean? Like, to be eligible for it at all, you've got to have written two previous books in a series that are really long. And then, you know, not many people are going to possibly come in with that intention or to come into it and think oh I might be eligible for this award I think it is just people I'm just thinking um, Asimov's Foundation series which was originally just the trilogy and I think it was just the original trilogy that they awarded Mm. um, Uh one best series ever or something it's got a Hugo award that has never been awarded before or since it was yeah. just given one because everybody loved it and it hadn't won an individual one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and see, I wonder if... There's no way it would have met 240,000 words. Those books are well, no. tiny. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if you couldn't do something like that. Like, I wonder if the Hugos couldn't just make some kind of special whenever it's necessary award <laughs> yeah. category for like, hey, Why George R. R. Martin, Let's when you finally finish things. The Song of Ice and Fire, here is your Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> or, you know, Sanderson, when you finally finish your nine series cycle, whatever thing it is that you're doing with Mistborn now, like here is your rocket from the Hugos. Yeah. Like, Patrick Rothfuss will get one when the third book eventually oh, comes absolutely. out. <laughs> Scott Lynch will probably get one when he finally finishes up The Gentleman Bastard. This is what I mean, though. It's like, I like all of these authors, but equally, I don't don't know if they're the best out there. They're just the most famous. And they're the most famous because of various other factors that come into play, not always just because their books are really good, which I think they're good, but I don't think they're, like, the best of the best. I think, well, because... I was gonna say, I think what we're concluding is that we see the benefits of it. Yeah. Because absolutely there are series that need to be awarded and it would be good to see them because like Caitlin said, they they're not getting those individual awards because it's mm. hard mm-hmm. if you they're yeah. on the ballot and they're the like seventh book in a series to go back and yeah, read. Yeah, like all. who's making that investment? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like if you haven't been keeping up with that, who I'm not reading seventeen Robin Hobb books just to read exactly. the new one. I'll read them eventually. Yeah. Just not because she's nominated yeah. for the Hugo. But the the two hundred and forty thousand needs to be dropped. It needs yeah, to be or so just like down. change it somehow to allow for yeah. science fiction that may well, be shorter. Well, if the cut off for novella, if the cut off for novella is for to up to novel is forty thousand, then the mm. logical point is one hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah, three, yeah three times that. Yeah. So one hundred and twenty thousand plus, and at yeah. least three books. Yeah. Or or drop the or keep the word count and just make it you have to have more books in the series you know you have to have a minimum of five books in your series or four you know but then we cut out number. trilogies yeah, and I trilogies are be, kind of the, yeah. the mainstay like the of series of things, that's true they, so. but trilogy yeah that's true 
I yeah, think I think the word count has to go down for yeah, it to it be to, like a fair level playing field for people who do yeah. write shorter fiction because short does not yeah. mean worse and there's no logic behind it being a longer. Well, and by the same turn, longer does not mean no. Better. Exactly, I, that's what I mean. To see like after the first none of those couple things of years. Sort of like there's no logic to yeah. that. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Like once we award all the big series that are already ongoing, it'll be interesting to see what continues to get nominated. Because mm. like we've been saying, there's only so many books or series that could fit in this category to be nominated with. Yeah, so after... I mean there are loads out there, but of the ones that people know, there's yeah. not that many, and enough that well, like, like are... they will get the votes. How good are they? Yeah. There's not that many, so it'll be yeah. interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what the slates do with the new category. Yeah, and, stuff, and sort of see yeah. the response from people about it all anyway so we will keep an eye on it and you know you guys going to world con 75 will have to keep us posted as to oh i keep remembering i'm going i know (laughs) yeah that's both of you is are you going yeah i haven't i haven't booked it all yet but i am going i'm definitely going i'm gonna book it all very soon (laughs) just waiting for some money Yay! All right. Well, then, should we go ahead and talk about the British Fantasy Awards? Yeah, since they've been awarded. Yes, these were awarded very recently at the um, Fantasy Con, which was in Scarborough, the glamorous mm. location. Um, <laughs> it's it's super goth. It's very Dracula, but yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. seaside towns. Anyway, that was the on Sunday, the twenty fifth of September. They were announced at. Fantasy Con, and they have a lot of categories in the British Fantasy Awards. Yes, yes they do. Yes, yes they, they do. do. <laughs> I remember that from sitting through the awards ceremony in 2015 when I was there, and I was like, "Oh man, this goes on. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> oh, <yeah>. one." <laughs> so, does anyone want to pick one out as a particular favorite that they think is very exciting? Mm. Um, I was very glad to see Letters to Tiptree win in Best Nonfiction yes. because. Uh, the ladies behind Letters to Tiptree are also the ladies behind the Galactic Suburbia podcast, of which we are all a favorite. We all enjoy listening to. Yes. Plus, they were just they just missed uh, being nominated for the Hugo. The stats for the Hugos came out, and because of stupid slate things, they just missed mm. being nominated. So I was glad. I'm glad to see him win there. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. So. And I was very excited to see Zencho got uh, best newcomer for Sorcerer to the Crown, which I read last this year and loved last year. When did it come out? Anyway, whenever it came out, <laughs> I loved it. it was out. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one actually. Yeah. It was a it was a fantastic book. I thought it brought in a lot of history of the UK that is often glossed over and was really fun while it was doing it yeah plus you know i'm i'm always here for fantasy that's heavily weighted towards people of color and ladies yes so exactly i'm always here for that <laughs> um mm, i agree so, and then the best fantasy novel went to uprooted by naomi novik so yeah and i don't know if you that. guys have read the best novella nominee Which the pauper prince and the uh, i have actually the i Popper actually like that one a lot yeah. so at least it was one I'd read. That's always good. Yeah. <laughs> and that I know. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was like really yeah. beautifully written, actually. I think it's one of those mm-hmm. very Oh, it's one of the nice um, ones. A tour it's one, one of yeah. The it's one of the tour.com. 
Yeah. yeah. And they are killing it with, they the, are with really that. They really That line is is really killing it. They're doing a good yeah. job. Yeah, they basically decided to do novellas and are now winning every novella category Every novella category Basically. Yeah. I mean, they've done novellas for a while, haven't they? But I think they've just they've pushed uh-huh. it massively and now it's it's yeah. huge. And no one else seems um, to be doing it as much. So, yeah. so good on them. Yeah. I liked Raw Blood. Uh, Rob Blood won for best horror novel. I really horror is my jam. Oh. Yeah, I, really like I saw horror, a few so. people this weekend who picked that up when we went shopping. So it definitely yeah. intrigues me. It looks me. it's, but I am a bit yeah, scared. It was really <laughs> good. Horror is not my thing. Uh, <laughs> no, not mine. Yeah. And that I'm um, that one's that one's a special kind of horror. If if your stomach turns easily, that one may not be like the best choice for you. I will I will stay away. Uh, yeah, I did really like the Death House. I was I was kind of hoping that one would win. I'm always here for like a haunted house uh, story, so mm. I was a little hoping Creepy. that one would win. But I did like Raw Blood, and as much as I love Night Vale, I. I think when I've talked about this before, I've said I would not have put Night Vale in a horror category necessarily. So mm. as much as I like them, I'm glad it went to a slightly more horrific horror novel. Than <laughs> yeah, I think that the adorable Cecil and the adorable Night Vale. So. British Fantasy Award tend to be quite big on the horror. So Yes, they do. Yeah. 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 Oh, goodness. All right. Well, any other thoughts on the bfas or is that i think are we are we good we're thought out we're good <laughs> all okay. thought out yep. and we will yep and we will link to the uh the winner list in the show notes so you can go check out all the other categories and see who ended up walking home with an award So now we are going to talk about Kindred by Octavia Butler. This was our science fiction Lady Vaults pick for the month. Yeah. Uh, who wants to do, do we want to do a plot summary? <laughs> Get everybody on the same we page? We can try. We can try. I'll try. Um, okay. Okay. So the story follows a young woman from modern America. It was written in the 1970s and mm-hmm. she is from 1976 when she is suddenly transported back in time to uh, the early 1800s. So she goes back to a couple of different periods uh, and in between returns home. Um, And Mm -hmm. each time she is uh, pulled in to be around this young man called Rufus, uh, who is, she figures out eventually, is one of her direct ancestors. And he is a white slave-owning plantation holder's son. Uh, and each time he is in danger of losing his life. So she has to save him in order that she can be born later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time he's a child, the second time I would say he's like a preteen, the third yeah, time he's, like he's 10, 11. Yeah. yeah. The third time he's a teenager, and the fourth time he's uh, like a grown man. Um, and each time she stays longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And then one of the times her husband, Kevin, is pulled through with her and he ends up having to stay in between when she gets sucked out because time happens differently on either side. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets left behind and he experiences five years there where she is at home for just a few days before she gets pulled back into the past. So Mm -hmm. they're having different experiences of the past and trying to survive there. Uh, But obviously Dana herself is black. And so when she gets 
goes back into the past. Uh, she has to live amongst the slaves and is treated as though she is a slave or a freed black. Uh, and Kevin is white, and so he is treated very differently. So we see the different things going on. Very that, good. A very, very good synopsis. <laughs> I'm impressed. Very well done, darling. Thank very you. well done. Okay. Oh, so yeah. So this is this is an interesting book because this book is. I want to call it science fiction, but I also don't know how science fiction-y it is. Yeah. That's something we'll definitely dig into, but I think that the thing that stuck out to me is with her writing and with the way she structured the functioning of her time travel, Butler is able to do this really kind of surreal thing where you feel along with Dana super disoriented every time there is a time travel. Mm. So it takes a couple pages to reacclimate with Dana to that setting. And it's interesting because about halfway through, I don't know if this is a spoiler. This may be a spoiler. I'm not trying to spoil anything, but if you haven't read it and you want to guys, we're, we're doing spoilers all the way through this. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> there is so, no way of not. So doing this it. may, this may be your time to, to come back and see us again. But, um, about halfway through the book, the, the family and Rufus and Rufus's father become aware of the fact that Dana time travels. Mm. And so it becomes this very interesting kind of conversation or story about, inevitability and how time functions and how family functions and it's just it really I don't know how I feel about this book in case you can't tell by the hesitation <laughs> in my voice I'm still under yeah. entirely sure how I feel about this book especially because there's very the way that she makes slavery come alive is very yeah. interesting the world too. that she mm. built is so vivid yeah. like the way that slavery is described and how it functions in the society and how people function around it yeah is so perfectly real when you're reading it like mm -hmm. um that it it's just insane you're just dragged into this world like she is like mm. you're dragged back you're disoriented um she's disoriented and you you kind of figure it out together and i think that was one of the clever points of the storytelling of this this weird time travel backwards mm -hmm. thing um yeah yeah it I was agree. it was very good i think I, like was this a reread for you chelsea had you already read this it one? was a reread but i haven't read that i read this book when i was probably in my junior year of high school so i was probably like 16 17 so in my memory i actually my memory stopped when uh, Alice, is that her name? Yeah, the name Alice. of her relative? Yeah. Uh, when Alice hung herself. So that actually, in my mind, was where the book stopped. I don't know if it's because that was so traumatic for me the first time I read it or because I just thought the rest of the ending was so not the way I wanted it to be that I just kind of blocked it out. <laughs> Maybe. So the ending itself was very interesting. But I think what's crazy to me is that when I was reading it the first time when I was younger, it felt very much so like historical fiction, just that also had time travel in it. Mm -hmm. Whereas this time, I feel like the time travel and the the way that the story functioned as a reflection of race relations and how it still felt so contemporary definitely hit harder this time around. Yeah. 
I mean, the story has been held up and is used in classrooms a lot as an, a good way of getting people to think about the period when slavery was legal, about what mm -hmm. that was actually like and how, yeah. um, you know, the households and the, the slaves functioned within a plantation and mm -hmm. around a household and what it was really like. Like, it's not glossed over at all. Although mm. Butler herself mm -hmm. has said that she made it not as bad as the actual slave I was going to say accounts. that because I think yeah. when I was reading it, there were moments where I thought this could have been described in a much worse way than she is doing it. Like, mm -hmm. it's brutal and it's horrible what's happening, but she doesn't go into the really vivid, gross details yeah. that she could yeah. have done, which would have and turned it she... more into, yeah. like, I don't know, I think that would have drawn away from the story a bit. And yeah. I think mm -hmm. it would have grossed people out more than necessary to tell yeah. this story. Yeah. And I the think story that's... still yeah. gets across the horrors and the tragedy of it without that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, and that's one of the things I think is interesting about like when you read an own voices book is so often the story is about kind of the power structures between the dominant and the non-dominant. So like in this case, the slave owners and the slaves. Mm -hmm. And I think that because we are with Dana and Dana is so fully enmeshed in the world of the slaves, we're able to get more into the power structures that occur in and amongst the minority group itself. So like field slave versus house slave mm. or slave in a Northern state versus slave in the deep South yeah. and kind of how those power structures and the really interesting reflect thing as their well. relationship with owners. Yeah. It is really, yeah. that's, I think something that is really, that make this book hit so hard is that it's not just about yeah. slave owner versus slave it's about slaves versus slaves and yeah. that relationship there are several scenes well there's one particular scene where dana is sold out by a fellow slave mm. i got really really <laughs> fucking mad like i got super <laughs> mad i was really like yeah that did not, that i was agree not okay with me i agree um but <laughs> the, but we see that kind of thing happen and it just adds another kind of layer to mm. the yeah. kind of the historical really... story we all know already so the really kind of interesting thing for me was seeing that Dana and Kevin, her husband, they are a black and a white couple, like, in the yeah. 1970s. And even in the 1970s, their families seem to have a little bit of resistance to them being together. Mm -hmm. So it's still not completely oh, yeah. fine in people's eyes. But going back then to the 1800s and seeing her be chucked into this lifestyle over and over again we see different kind of crazy interpretations of her coming in. Like at times the father of Rufus is saying, oh, well, you're just here to help my son. Like there's no personality to her. She's not there for any other reason other than to help mm -hmm. his son. Like she's this person who's been sent to do that. And we mm -hmm. also see the other slaves having kind of this weird relationship with her at first because she comes from this time period where white and black people are way more equal and she speaks like a white person and she is yeah, educated several times, and yeah. that's something that the slaves in the book and even the white people in the book are like this is not right like you should not be talking like that you will get in trouble she wears pants she dresses like a yeah. man the whole thing is so foreign to their whole like concept of existence mm. that it's scary to them definitely yeah and i think like you know, like Chelsea was saying, it's an own voices thing. Seeing a story about slavery written from the perspective, not of a slave, because Dana is very much not a slave. Yeah. That's emphasized yes. throughout. Like, she does not think mm -hmm. of herself as a slave. She has choice. 
she has agency and, and as a character she is incredibly brave yeah. she does that in times where i don't know if i could do that she asserts her yeah. freedom and her independence but not that yes. the other slaves yeah. can't do that and don't have choice but that they you know they're forced into this system and she has a way out that they do not yeah. but yeah. it's still written from that perspective she is able to see from their perspective and it's not written from a like this story could have been written as a kevin time travels yes. and sees mm -hmm. the injustice mm -hmm. and helps them out but no it's written from dana's perspective going back as a black woman and going yeah. into yeah. that society uh, which made it a very very different experience than mm -hmm. um you know any other like a white perspective on slavery or Definitely. racism mm -hmm. although i will say the 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 portion of the book where kevin and her are separated the thought of being kevin in that scenario i will say i think butler did a really good job creating that tension yeah. and when the two of them reunited mm -hmm. that that dichotomy of it having been so long for him and so short for her and the kind of culture he was stuck in i thought she made that relationship function really well given the obstacle they had to overcome yeah, yeah. like Absolutely. you know it's not really realistic is not really the word you use <laughs> for a time travel slave narrative but i imagine should it be realistic that is how that would play yeah, out. yeah i think she did a so. really good job of making it seem very authentic even though it's yeah. made up yeah. So, yeah it was it and was i liked kevin to... he yeah i like he was kevin. like the only non-slave character or well and dana the two of them were the only, the only good characters in this book <laughs> i hated rufus so much yeah. oh everybody rufus else everything that's wrong with like white rufus misogyny is, yeah. i just oh. hate it so much so I mean, shall, shall we look at the characters and go through yeah, some of the things do that we yeah. talked a bit about let's, dana let's do that um and a bit about um Kevin, but let's talk about Rufus for a while. So Rufus is the kid that oh, she goes Rufus. back to save. He is a child of a plantation owner. He has owned slaves since he was born. Um, and he is in love with Alice, who is a slave. Um, mm -hmm. And he, they were friends when they were little. And then he becomes just kind of sexually and romantically attached to her, even though she has no feelings for him. Yeah. But to him, she is a belonging. She belongs to him. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the, yeah, it's, it's so very icky. weird. It's so bad. Ooh. Okay, it's so bad, you guys. So here's my thing. I just... It's so easy to say that Rufus is a product of his time. Like, usually that is an argument that I will call bullshit on so fast. But this is specifically a novel about how your context can shape who you are like as a person because we see rufus go from this child and dane is trying so hard to shift his viewpoint and kind of de-racist him as much as she possibly can mm. but at the same time she's not there all the time and he's still in this context but like here's the thing so many guys so many people that i know will still use that same like I am a white dude, so you are my property, and I will make decisions for you. <laughs> but reading this book still felt so, like, it's not slavery. It's not slave ownership. To compare it to that would be insulting. But at the same time, it is still this sense of entitlement that reads through Rufus that makes this book feel so incredibly contemporary. And the way yeah. that he speaks to her and tries to own Dana, even though he knows he doesn't own her, just smacked so close to home for me that like yeah 
I didn't. Mm, mm, mm. Rufus, you and I are not cool. Yeah, it's not acceptable. Yeah, it's problematic right. because there are times in the novel where he tries to do something good because Dana tells him like you should consider yeah. this third thing like you should think oh I don't have to be this white man owning slaves mm-hmm. who is horrible to everyone just because that's how my father is and his father is the one who shapes him the most in the novel mm-hmm. even though Dana is popping in she's only there for a few months at most and she cannot shape this child as much as she would like yeah. to and it, ultimately it, it ends up that Rufus is horrendous and he does get to the point where he ends up buying Alice back after she's tried to escape with her husband who is also black and she he does not buy the husband back he lets the husband go so that he is able to have Alice for himself and you know at that point I think he was committed to being a dick in my head and I was like (laughs) you know you've made the choice now that you're going to buy this woman back instead of trying to figure out some other option. And there were other Mm -hmm. options for him because he's a wealthy enough person that he could have done something different in that scenario. But he didn't. And that whole scenario is like his fault. Like he gets the shit kicked out of him by her husband because he tried to rape her. Exactly. Like he he did rape her. And so like, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously her husband tried to kick the shit out of him, but because he's white, he ends up raping her and then being able to purchase her and own her Mm -hmm. and keep her around just because he can. Yeah. And it's just uh, dominating power structures are the worst. What what gets worse is the bit in there where he's talking about why he raped her because she kept saying no. And he just loved her so much and she just wouldn't say yes. So he just had to do it. There was no other option. What was I supposed to do? Oh, God. Yeah, it's just not an option in his head that she could say no. Yeah. Um, And because at that time, the way that's the way slavery was, was that Mm. people who were slaves did not have that option. They they should look up to and appreciate and understand everything about the white people and the culture and whatever yeah. and they should and be everything grateful that they for get being from a slave yeah. to yeah. Rufus you know it's better him yeah. than some other person which is true in that time like there were people who were better than others but I think Rufus is not the best person out there we can yeah. fully say that from seeing <laughs> Kevin going back into this world and we see Kevin yeah. later on helping people who are slaves to escape in the five years he's mm-hmm. trapped there that's what he does but so he, how yeah, but how limited his ability to do that is oh, is yeah. quite showing because mm-hmm. you know the whole product of society thing. Um, she does go into that. Dana talks it through in uh, one point when Kevin is there as well, and she's worried about him mm. not being able to come back with her. Mm. If he gets stuck there, he will be affected by that society. And she yeah. talks about how easily she like how worrying she found it that she so easily started to fit into that culture yeah how it became understandable how agreeing with the white people and becoming this subdued polite like simpering Mm -hmm. um sort of yeah person Mm -hmm. yeah like she she did that because it was necessary to survive and um octavia butler talked about how she wanted to counter this narrative of um you know how people in the olden days the black people of the olden days were being accused by the young people in the like black power movements of the 1970s of like 
being too submissive and complicit yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and she wanted to like illustrate the importance of survival where you had no other option this was your only way of doing it like it was death or and beatings or or you do what you're told and and Mm -hmm. the, the ease once you get into that and once the whole rest of society functions like that how impossible it is to think any other way to get out any other way Mm. and even kevin finds himself trapped in it he was obviously you know when he gets out he's exhausted and yeah yeah i was saying that one was so heartbreaking because it happened not to the extent that dana was afraid of it but she was spot on in saying that him being trapped there for five years in returning from that his context had changed Mm. and he had to take that time to get used to and reacclimate to not just the little things like technology and all of that but the way to interact with Dana and with his own morality in such a sudden shift of you know 200 years from past to present and that's with he you know Kevin being the good guy the best guy that we're given an example of and he he still needs that time to shift and reacclimate so Mm. it's definitely I those were some of the conversations I enjoyed the most uh Elizabeth were the ones kind of about quote-unquote mammies and that Mm. that kind of conceptual difference of how one fights power and how sometimes being being not submissive but it's a form of defense to not call attention to yourself or to go along to get along well i mean she she actually illustrated like the 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 figure of the mammy in a character called sarah who is uh the cook she runs the cook house and i thought she was a fantastic character because she was very much you know she even Mm. said in another household she'd have been called mammy she was called aunt sarah by you know the white people and the other black people yeah. yeah um and you know she's big and jolly and sweet and says yes ma'am and whatever but actually in the privacy of the kitchen she is strong she's firm um she yeah. hates the masters like she yeah. she mm-hmm. swears about them and she's them. got good she... reason to hate the masters yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like, she's she's oh, surviving there and keeping her head down because three of her children have been sold and there's always they say, you know, they left her just enough, just one child to, like, yeah. hold Keep on for. Keep her making, mm-hmm. yeah. making the work yeah. and carrying on. And, and you know, she says, well, like, the culture yeah. understands a lot about torture. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so interesting because kids play such a strong part in this book. Both the fact that uh, Rufus and Alice's child is the impetus that Dana has to continue to protect Rufus because that is her future, you know, ancestor or whatever that that's where the time travel gets a little wibbly wobbly. And I just don't want to think about it. But (laughs) um, so between that child and all of the children that are sold out, whether it's Sarah's children who are sold and that creates Sarah and her source of power or whether it's Rufus, pretend selling the children but not really selling them and that causes Alice to end her life and ruin the rest of what existence she had it's just so interesting that kids play such an important bargaining chip and power structure for the novel I just thought that that was yeah probably so reminiscent of the time like the (laughs) amount of situations that happened where people Mm -hmm. were stuck because of their kids being threatened i can only imagine it was oh yeah nearly because that's that's a different 
I mean, it's one thing to to beat somebody. It's another thing yeah. to take someone's children exactly. and sell them forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never to be returned. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> do we want to talk a bit about the the, the time travel and the way it's, yeah. it's framed as a science fiction story? We've got the connection between the modern era and the old era and Mm -hmm. she is moving between the two so this is generally called a science fiction story but i know Mm -hmm. you've obviously intimated you have thoughts on this (laughs) (laughs) um i i was gonna say my hesitation to call it a science fiction novel is only because the science is not explained or mentioned in any capacity and like i'm i'm not really a hard science reader so i don't have a very high bar for the level of science in my science fiction but this to me almost felt more like a history au or some kind of almost fantasy story yeah. that just happened to operate I was say, I would with science like with time travel like a historical fantasy to me fantasy. that's yeah. what it comes across mm-hmm. as to me and yeah, it does have time travel, but it isn't explained in the slightest, and it yeah. it very yeah. much it happens randomly, like magic, and like it's, yeah. there's yeah. no explanation whatsoever. Butler has described it as a brutal fantasy, which I think is a very good description. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. also don't need science to be super accurate or sciency. Yeah, but what I find interesting yeah. is time travel was. Uh, an element of fantasy until um, time machines became a thing. And Mm. then it kind of moved into Uh, being an element of science fiction. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And now it's become one of the tropes that make up the genre, which is why this is classified as sci-fi. But actually there is no technology or science behind this time travel. So it just as equally works as calling it a fantasy. Well, it's interesting because like I have a series that I've read, which is a kid series. It's called the history keepers. And it is exactly Mm -hmm. that. It's a time travel fantasy. There's no logic, Mm -hmm. no explanation, no time machine. And I love it. It's a really good series, yeah. by the way. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely what I would class as fantasy. And I think this yeah. falls into exactly the same I it, bracket. I mean, that. she's it's not messing like a... with time. So it's not even no. affecting time. Because time, obviously, as a concept is physics, which is science. And thus we have the thing. Yeah. But it is, it is too early for the physics <laughs> yeah. of time conversation. <laughs> but yeah, that's why this is, is it's, because there is no time alterations, like the timeline and the yeah. linearness of time isn't altered or stru- like functioning different in any way, it felt almost more like a portal fantasy to me, where yeah. the portal just happened yeah. to be into the past. you know the emotional state of Rufus and happened to lead to the same place every time. Yeah. You know, I mean, so that to me is almost more or like you know, yeah, so. That's, yeah, I just would not call this science fiction. It was amazing. And I think that Fair calling enough. it dark fantasy and, and, and difficult fantasy is definitely pretty spot on because it's definitely brutal. I just would not have necessarily called it science fiction. Yeah. It's speculative fiction, shall we say. Yeah. Let's yes. use the br- Just the why it's on our show. <laughs> yeah. Which is why we're talking about it here on our speculative fiction book club. Yeah. And I think just... also as a, as a science fiction book, as a, you know, you can call it that and it connects to her other works of science fiction, which are more mm-hmm. explicitly sciencey, yeah. like the Xenogenesis story, which continues uh-huh. exploring race and gender relations, um, mm-hmm. but in the context of aliens and um, 
you know, genetics and things like that, which yeah. makes it so much more sciencey. But it yeah, it's, much more explicitly. Yeah, but yeah. it is very connected to this idea as well. It has these ideas about survival and about mm -hmm. um, how you um, function and your freedom of choice and will and what that means. Yeah. All these things are continued in Xenogenesis, and I would thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, I will pick it I up. I would also recommend if. Because time travel books are not my thing, as I've already indicated, the science and the physics of time and how time travel affects <laughs> that is usually just too much for my brain. I prefer my time travel a la the Octavia Butler style. Um, but if you are wary on time travel books like me, this might be a good one to check out simply because it accomplishes traveling in time without getting anywhere near the actual like implications of physics and time and space that harder sci-fi gets into when it discusses time yeah. travel so Very now true. before we conclude on the uh the kindred thing uh -huh. did we want would anyone like to comment on the oh we didn't even talk about the ending of well the ending and also the intersections of gender and race in this because Ooh. this is the lady mm. vaults we should mm -hmm. be talking about the fact that a it was a lady who does the time traveling who is our main character and um, be the other women in it and what that tells mm -hmm. us about women and, and all that sort of stuff. Because Ooh, I found it really book, fascinating. Does this book pass the Bechdel test? Yes, many, many times. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of women talking. Yeah, I guess they spend lots of time not talking about Rufus. Yeah. Not talking about They the talk about yeah. escape so. and children and yeah. food and... And not that that's necessary to be considered, you know, a, a lady-friendly book, but that's just my, yeah. that's my first usually rule of thumb that I go <laughs> by. But um, anyway, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to me that we have, like you said, the woman doing the time travel, that puts the male in this kind of damsel in distress-esque position of he can't do anything without her. Mm. Like, he's stuck there without her. He needs her to get him home. But then it's also interesting because when Dana is alone on the plantation, although she's free and powerful and eloquent and educated, she also is not at the top of the power structure within the plantation lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. She kind of is outside of it because she comes and goes and they are aware that she's from a time that's like not their time. So she's in this interesting kind of... yeah nebulous place within the plantation life and even though she's black <laughs> yeah. well and also um it shows very well like the the layering of of that power structure is gendered as well as like racially segregated mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. whilst um you know dana is a woman she's also black woman so she's she's down right down in the slaves and you see it even amongst the interactions of the children there's a point where the Ooh, children yeah. are playing a game pretending to sell each other of slaves. And the Aww. boy, yeah, and the boy, like, pushes the girl when she says something. He pushes her and says, you shut up. Yeah. Because she's a girl, you're not, you're allowed, not to allowed to talk. Yeah. Um, and the women have it uh, differently, you know, they, they suffer differently than the men do. Uh -huh. um, and the then you see it in the White household. That's what I was um, about to mention, yeah. Margaret suffers and Ugh. has no power mm. in a way that rufus and his father don't experience so it's like it's showing you you know the the white woman doesn't have the same levels of power as the white man but she's nowhere mm -hmm. near 
down the power structure as a black woman the, yeah. their experiences of um sexism are so different and yeah. there's so many more layers going on than that and i thought that was absolutely yeah. amazing yeah and i think initially i was really unfair to margaret and i will you know knock myself for that that's coming from a very 21st century female place of privilege but while it doesn't make it okay i do think it makes it more uh empathizable to see why she would treat dana in the way that she did existing in this power structure where she had no power and no form of recourse over any of the people who were actually angering her and like the only sort of thing that she feels she's got a hold on is her son and then dana comes into the picture and dana is the Mm -hmm. person that Mm -hmm. he wants to read to him at night Mm -hmm. and dana is the person that he finds interesting because she's from another Mm -hmm. time period and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff so margaret is just Mm kind of left high and dry and she tries to exist alongside her at first and she's Mm -hmm. sort of like grateful that dana saved her son and then the more times it happens the more upset she mm-hmm. gets by Dana's yeah. presence. But she Bella writes about how Margaret doesn't, you know, Margaret has slaves to do her cooking and her cleaning yeah. and her mending and she doesn't know how to read and she doesn't know how to write and so she doesn't have anything to do or anything to be or any sort of power and so yeah. it's she she lashes out and exercises what power she has on the few people who are below her which includes her unfortunately you know her property her slaves and so it's just very yeah like you were saying interesting to see how all those layers interact with each other yeah and it just it just shows you like what privilege she did have is is over the race but not over gender in any way Mm -hmm. and it's just oh yeah it's so it was just like oh my god the layers of awfulness in society oh my god it's awful i know (laughs) it was very Uh, very it's awful awful on every layer but Uh, it did it recognized yeah it recognized the intersections and i think that was really good Mm -hmm. for people who you know it's so easy to read a lot of books and just be like oh yes men women and then not see that but this is it was so clear in this book to see mm-hmm. that yeah. it was it was just really good okay let's, let's Shall talk we discuss ending. the ending yeah <laughs> okay so i didn't like it yeah so the like ending it. i'm just gonna put that out there the ending not of the it. book essentially what happens is she gets threatened to a point where she's you know fed up at this point she's saved this guy so many times and now he's like really threatening her life and it's just well alice kills herself. Alice like let's dead. let's go full spoilers alice okay. kills herself <laughs> to escape from alice, rufus yes. and yeah. then mm-hmm. rufus decides that dana is a good replacement he says they're two halves of the same woman <sighs> and yeah. so and he will have yeah. her now and keep her and she has to stay because she belongs to him no 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 yeah yeah so that was so so she goes to gather her things and in order for dana to return to her own time she's figured out that she has to cause herself harm she has to put her own life at risk and so she's headed upstairs to do that to return to her own time and of course rufus follows her and um attempts to rape her Mm-hmm. because uh, that's what because he does that's yeah um and so in the process of that she manages to get the pocket knife she's brought from her time out of her bag and to kill rufus to murder him in self-defense yeah and she does this and you know he was coming at her and she kills him and so he is kind of sprawled out and he's laying on her arm 
Um, and is it because he's now dead and she no longer has need to protect him, she's called back to her own time, except for the part of her arm that Rufus is laying on, which is apparently kept back in the 1800s because when she shows up in 1976, she's missing her arm is all. gone. Like her arm has been amputated mm. and that's pretty much where the book ends. They go to the hospital and then it's there's a little where like, begins, epilogue the where they like. The book starts off with that. Too. Yeah. Like that's the first scene we've seen is them going to the hospital to yeah. get her amputated arm fixed. And then there's an epilogue where they like do some traveling around the South and try and look for Rufus's grave and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah. it just like, hmm, I, mm, hmm. <laughs> it just felt like we got this huge buildup and then like. Oh, I kind of it liked just it. Ended. I feel I like just, I wanted I a little bit more. Like, I didn't think the did ending was bad. I just felt like it wasn't enough for me to feel, like, satisfied with the ending. I wanted a little bit more to go on between her and Rufus and, like, for something a bit extra to happen in that time before she's pulled back straight away. I didn't feel like there was on. anything more that could have happened between her and Rufus. Like, that was it. Like, he threatened to rape her... No, I don't necessarily her. mean, like, between Rufus and her. Like, something in that world to happen before she's just pulled back. Like, I would have liked a little I... resolution with some of the other characters that we see mm -hmm. or something more to be developed with them because then she's just, she's out of that world. She doesn't go back yeah. again. That's I guess I it. just felt like she went from, like, thinking about and talking about killing him to, like, to killing boom. him within the span of, like half a dozen pages and I think that to me is where I would have been okay with a little bit more like expansion and you're right Elizabeth I don't really know how it would have happened I don't really know how like <laughs> yeah, what else she could have added or done instinctual but may maybe reaction. if she had like kind of maybe if she kind of put that thought slightly more throughout the rest of the book that was like, throughout it's in there, oh my god I... that was throughout from the very beginning but... where she is threatened and cannot hurt someone because she's not mm -hmm. you know she's not experienced that kind of threat before and then throughout, she continually references, uh, you know, whether she would have hurt him, you know, she would have stabbed him. Mm -hmm. At one point, she tries to, and the knife gets knocked away, and yeah. she can't do it. So it's happened multiple mm -hmm. times. It felt like a logical build-up, but then I listened to this very, very quickly all the way through. So maybe I kind mm -hmm. of picked up mm -hmm. on that happening so fast as it built. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I I think know, it is cause... indicated, but I think... She that Chelsea's right in that it does seem very sudden that she jumps to it as like, I know it's a self-defense reaction and she's like, well, there's nothing else I can do here. I'm going to die. If this guy rapes me, it's going to be the same as yeah. death. So she has to kill him. Well, in she has order the way out because, because she's not of that time. If she'd been of that time and she was a slave um, and the society, you know, she had no way yeah, out of that society. True. Yeah. She like, would have been like, it would have been another choice because her. when she talks to Alice about whether mm -hmm. she'll go willingly to Rufus, she says, these are your choices. You go willingly, he does it anyway, or you run or away you and run. get killed. Like, that's mm -hmm. it. And Alice says, would you, would you go? And Dana says, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so you, yeah. And I, think, I think it's made very clear that Dana would rather murder rufus or be dead herself than be raped yeah. like that is indicated like that is the line at which she but draws that's the for... choice that everyone makes that's that's your only yeah. choices yeah. in that that's time true. yeah the mm -hmm. the interesting I don't know, maybe thing... it was i i'm maybe it was with the alice thing because that caught me off guard too like i remembered it happening but the way it's portrayed in the book she just goes back and then 
like takes a couple steps to the barn and sees it. Yeah. It was just there's no like build up. It's just there. Like I had to go back and read the sentence a couple times to yeah. be like, wait, it did happen very soon. <laughs> like, did that just happen? So maybe that was what threw me off and I just felt like from there we barreled forward at such yeah, a speed it was to a conclude. Very sudden ending. Yeah. Um what did yeah. we think about so, the arm the arm injury and mm. you know it being because when she comes back it's embedded in the wall and crushed and then she's injured and she has to have it amputated mm-hmm. and everything. And that's where Rufus was holding on to her. So. Yeah. I think that's just the part where it got a little the science got a little I don't know it just got weird like we never really talk about the time travel or how it works but then I couldn't help but wonder like why that like why does yeah. him touching her have an influence on which parts of I mean her it get makes for an interesting in start to the story yeah so. That's very true. I think I saw it as because he was the one controlling the time travel his function uh-huh. was he was dying and he thought he was dying so he pulled her through every other time Time, he's actually dying this time so he's holding on and he's literally trying to hold on to her so Mm -hmm. that Mm. i guess it was strong enough and but weak enough that a piece of her stayed or or something but also because i was an english literature student the way i read it was immediately was um she is affected and scarred by slavery like literally Mm -hmm. by living in that period nobody escaped whole living through Mm, something that brutal and it's left the scars on her but also Mm -hmm. like just it's left the scars Mm. on society it leaves them on kevin but then we see it reflected in the wider like contemporary society like contemporary america Mm -hmm. is shaped by um yeah the racial yeah the racial thing dichotomies and relations and they make the the coin that kevin has uh that he shows Mm -hmm. rufus to show that the time travel is happening he has a coin that's the bicentennial bicentennial coin Mm -hmm. and they're talking about that kind of the founding of america was during a period when slavery was legal and you know Mm -hmm. the racism they experience in contemporary society is a direct relation and it's the scars that we all bear and whatever yeah. anyway literature, english literature no, I like training that. i think along see... with that you know she has left a piece of herself there with him which is the thing he has wanted throughout the whole of the book was to be able to keep her in some way so she has left a piece of herself in the past and so has left her own connection to that time Mm. both physically and then also Elizabeth metaphorically yeah. kind of as you were saying and we all take our roots from a past that we you know that Dana gets to see and the rest of us won't or at least haven't thus far mm-hmm. <laughs> if you've time traveled please let everybody know. please email <laughs> us and give us an indication yeah so that Excellent. was kindred yeah so yeah so that was it's a it's a heavy story and there's definitely a lot to peel back but I think this might be the pick that i have enjoyed the most oh this is by far the one i've enjoyed the most Um, octavia butler's writing is very very readable like even for such heavy things it's so accessible so Mm. readable you just go in Mm -hmm. and you enjoy the story even when it's like brutal as all get out like it's so good and it's so clever Mm -hmm. highly recommended from all three of us highly recommended All right. Well, should we go ahead and announce the next pick and then we can talk about what we're reading? Yes. Yes. Adios. All right. So who wants to intro our next? Caitlin has the the book, so 
I do, I do. Yeah, so the next book we're going to be reading is Lynn Flewelling, and the book is called Luck in the Shadows. Now, we hear rumours that this is, or has, gay relationships within it, so this is why we've chosen it, really. It sounds like a fairly stereotypical kind of fantasy story about a young boy called Alec, um, Alec of Kerry, because everyone has to be of a place in fantasy. Um, He's taken prisoner for a crime that he did not commit, and when he's in prison, he meets a cellmate who is called Seragril of Rimini. And, you know, (laughs) exactly. It's very, like, um, funny names. (laughs) They make me laugh. But apparently this cellmate offers him something. so. So he offers them a way to get out of prison and do something that is very much a sinister plot and their fortunes are very unpredictable from that point on. So it definitely sounds like a sort of stereotypical fantasy. Yeah. But isn't isn't the but, cellmate like a handsome rogue older gentleman? Oh yes, of yeah, course, guys, of course he so is, I'm sure. <laughs> it says I'm he's a so spy rogue so thief and a noble. So of course he is. Very <laughs> exciting. Those are all my favourite He's words. just so everything. Yeah, he's everything you would ever this, need. <laughs> so I think it'll be a fun one. It's quite a long book yeah. so you probably want to start it early in the month and read it for a yeah. while because my copy's like 470 pages. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it should be a good oh, one to discuss. Right. So Excellent. hopefully yeah. we'll enjoy it. So join us. Oh, join goodness. us for that one. Yes. And yep. uh, we will discuss it next time. All right. And then so I think uh, that about wraps us up, except for what we have on the go at the moment. Uh, what are you ladies reading? What's going on? What's on the nightstand, so to speak? I am currently reading. I just started both of these, so I'm not very far into either of them. I just started reading Revelation Space by Alistair Reynolds because this month I am doing a sci-fi month and I'm trying to read loads of sci-fi. Well done, Kate. Yeah, I know. I'm pushing the boat out, trying to be different from fantasy. So I'm reading some Revelation Space, which I'm enjoying so far, but I'm not that far into it. I just finished reading um, Revenger by Alistair Reynolds and I really liked that. But I think that was a bit of an easier one than this one. So we'll see. And then I'm also reading Foreigner by CJ Cherry because I also want to read some female science fiction writers. So nice. reading She's both of those. definitely somebody we, we should probably read for a Lady Vaults in the future. Yeah, uh, very, yeah. very true. Okay. So She's those are the two the I'm reading. List. I wanted to ask you guys, I know that there is a readathon happening in October called the Own Voices Readathon. I haven't got anything really chosen for it, which is very bad, um, because sci-fi I find a little harder to find own voices books Mm -hmm. in. But I don't know if you guys have anything that you're reading for the month of October, own voices, and you want to like throw that out there as well as what you're currently reading, just in case anyone is sort of wondering what they could pick up. Um... I am reading, or I'm getting ready to start, uh, Nalo Hopkinson. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Midnight Robber, and she writes very kind of surreal. It's like a sci-fi fantasy blend, and she brings in a lot of, like, uh, Afro-Caribbean mythology and that Ooh. kind of stuff. It's it, very cool. It reminds me so far a lot of uh, Lagoon. Oh, yeah. Uh, in that it kind of brings in that African, like, folklore-esque kind of feel into a science fiction uh, universe so that's one thing I haven't started yet but I'm planning on reading for October sounds good um, and then 
also the People of Color Destroy Horror Special Edition just came out from the Lightspeed mm. uh, Kickstarter. And so I'll probably be reading that this month because it's October, which is Halloween, which is all my horror reading. <laughs> it is Horror Story Month, and I'm it's so your excited. Month. Yeah. I would, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I would say um, Nine Fox Gambit, which I just read by Yoon Ha Lee, would work quite mm-hmm. well. I'd also, any up, of um, Aliette de Bordard's Zuya Universe short stories. Um, you, you find them in different magazines, but she's got them all listed on her website. They are mm-hmm. all set in interesting futures, sci-fi futures, um, filled with, you know, diverse cultures and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought of something else that I've now forgotten. Oh, basically anything by Nnedi Okorafor, any of her... Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like Lagoon, The Book of Phoenix, they're both explicitly sci-fi and very, very, mm-hmm. like, focused around African history and culture mm. and stuff. So very cool. If you have somehow not gotten to the fifth season oh, yet, yeah. this might be a good month to pick <laughs> that up in. That's also Perfect. a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Excellent um, suggestions. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. So what are you, what do you, I know you're not. What are you getting ready to start? A yes. Bit? I, what do you have getting ready to start? I always manage to finish like two or three books in the same day and then have nothing reading when we're starting to podcast. Um, <laughs> so I am about to pick up Binti by Nedia Korofor, which is oh, yeah. uh, sci-fi and like, yeah. Uh, so I somehow haven't read it yet and it's very short, so I'm quite excited. And then I think I'm going to read Imprudence by Gail Carragher because... It's finally time oh, to read good it. Times. It's been now good too choices. Long. Um, yeah, Very so good those choices. are my good choices. Wonderful. Well, yeah, and then I am reading the first October Day novel uh, by Shana McGuire, Rosemary and oh, Rue. Nice. Uh, it's fairies, and this it's a very long time since I've read a series like that that's like the same person, but each book is just a different set of circumstances in the same world. It's been a while. Uh, and then I'm also listening to Connie Willis to say nothing of the dog, oh. which is lovely and British and rompy and they are playing croquet and <laughs> oh, uh, delightful. there are simpering baby talking characters who I hate more than anything in the entire world. Yeah. Um, but shout out to uh, Kay Taylor Ray on Twitter, oh, who yeah. is my darling and who recommended both of those things to One me. One of she my is... favorite people. <laughs> Yes, she is Perfect. a queen, lady, nerd, and fanfic wrecker and book <laughs> knower. And I just, I'm a big fan of her, as a case you can't tell. So she recommended both of those to me. So I am enjoying them both Excellent. immensely. Yes. So, and that's it, guys. That that's is show it. number five. Woo. That's, we're done. Uh, so thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, join us again in a month. Leave for, us all your comments about uh, Kindred. Mm -hmm. yep let us know hit us up on twitter youtube the uh wordpress wherever you're at let us know we're always here to talk about the lady vaults and uh we'll see you guys in a month for luck in the shadows bye all right Bye. bye